image of God. So that's Christian or not, there's this creation mandate that says, do this. You've been created in the image of God. You have this creation mandate. And we were talking about our jobs, and we said you can kind of look at your job maybe in one of two buckets. God took something that was chaotic, and he brought structure or order. Maybe that's what you do. You bring order or structure out of chaos. And God also took something that was empty, and he filled it. And maybe that's more like what you do when you think about your job. So those two things we looked at. And we also said, as Christians, people who are following Jesus and filled with the Spirit, we have these good works that God created in advance for us to do that really have to do with advancing his kingdom on the earth. So when we think about work as Christians, we've got a couple of different categories. We've got this Genesis 1, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, rule, subdue it. We've also got this Ephesians 2.10, do the good works that God's created in advance for us to do. Today we're going to look at the idea of rest. Next week we're going to look at relationship. And we've said before, those three elements, rest, work, and relationship that we see in Genesis 1 and 2, that's the rhythm of life for everybody, always, everywhere. That's a, that's a universal norm for everyone. The things that we see in Genesis 1 and 2, that's, this is God saying, this is how I want things to be. This is before the fall, before sin has entered the world. This is what I want things to look like. And when it comes to life, he wants us to have these three elements. It looks different. We've talked before about tempo. That's the pace, how quickly you live. Some people have a faster pace than others. That's kind of neither here nor there. But what matters are those three elements, work, rest, and relationship. We'll look a little more at that in the coming weeks, but you can just have that in mind as the categories for what we're talking about. So Genesis 2, starting in verse 1. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. That's what we talked about last week. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he'd been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. And God blessed the seventh day and he made it holy because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. Very straightforward, just really two things for us. One, God, he rested. He didn't rest because he was tired. He rested because he was finished. He'd done everything that there was to do in creating the world. There was nothing left to be created, so he stopped. So God rested, and then God made this seventh day holy. He sanctified it, or he consecrated it. He set it apart as special for him. So those are the two key pieces for us in Genesis 2, 1 through 3. God rested because he was finished with what he was doing, and God made this day holy. That is special to him. The Israelites took this seriously. If you read the Ten Commandments, number four, Honor the Sabbath day and keep it holy. You see that in Exodus and in Deuteronomy. Those are the two places where the Ten Commandments are listed. The Fourth Commandment, honor the Sabbath day and keep it holy. And the rabbis took it extraordinarily seriously. So what they did is they created this whole list of activities that people weren't allowed to do on the Sabbath day. Here's the list. There's 39 things that you can't do on the Sabbath. And underneath each of those, there's massive amounts of subcategories. This is some modern, this is for real, and I'm not being sarcastic, and I'm totally not making fun, although it's going to sound like I am. I'm not. So underneath each of these, they've come up with a lot of these subcategories. So under carrying, this is legit. Most of you have broken at least 50 of these already this morning. You're not allowed to leave your house with anything except what you're wearing. No wallet, no keys, no purse, nothing that's not literally the clothes on your back. You can't leave your house with it. That means you're not leaving your house for the most part. In your house, you can carry stuff. Outside of your house, you can't. Burning, so the modern thing of that, no, you can't turn on the lights because the filament burns. I don't know about LEDs, how they've worked around that. No 
can't turn on your car because it's a combustion engine. If you've got a leaf, maybe you're, there's another plus for the uh, eco guys. You can't cook. You can't turn your stove on. Um, what is that one? I'm trying to read my own writing. Finishing. That one was interesting. I didn't know what that meant. It meant you can't complete things. So you can't put anything together. So if you've got a toy, you can't build it. Um, somehow also in finishing is tearing or cutting. So straight up, you can't tear toilet paper on the Sabbath. It's all got to be pre-cut. I don't know if you, if you guessed wrong. I guess you're out of luck on how much you knew. You can't blow up a balloon or water wings on the Sabbath. That's finishing something. Erasing, this was interesting. You can't, uh, you can't break letters. So a package, if you ripped a package and it, was, and it ripped the letters, you can't do that because you're breaking something. Or a book, you know, when you open a book, the spine, the, the letters break, you can't do that. So you can't open a book because it breaks the letters on the back. Planting, uh, that's what you think. You can't change water in a flower vase. You can't do anything that helps plants to grow on the Sabbath. Uh, I can't read my own writing. What does it say after planting? Reaping? Is that down there? Reaping. You can't climb a tree or smell a growing flower. Um, dying, no lipstick or eyeshadow. You've got to put that on before the Sabbath. Building, this was interesting. You can't open an umbrella because it provides the same protection from the rain that a building does. So you can't open your umbrella. Uh, shearing, you can't, no shaving. That would be good for some of us guys. You can't cut your fingernails. Uh, and you can't comb your hair. Unless you use a soft brush because you don't want to pull, you can't pull hair out of your head. And if you use a hard brush, a lot of times hair comes out. So they would use a soft brush to make sure that doesn't happen. Slaughtering, you can't even kill bugs. Deadly snakes, yes. And wasps, yes, because they're deadly. But you can't kill a mosquito or a gnat. So that's just some of all of the rules that come. And again, not making fun. I just, I read this off of an Orthodox website. So that's kind of what's going on here. By Jesus' day. The Sabbath had become this massive burden. Obviously, they didn't have some of the things I just told you about. Those are modern ways of keeping the Sabbath. But in Jesus' day, it was very burdensome. Those three that are highlighted, Jesus' disciples broke those when they're going, th Matthew 12, they're going through a grain field, and they're hungry, and they pick off heads of grain, and they eat it. They reaped because they pulled the heads off the grain. They threshed when they rubbed the grain in their hands, and then they winnowed when they pulled the kind of the husk or the chaff off. So they broke all three, and they got in trouble. The Pharisee says, y'all are working on the Sabbath. Jesus got in trouble for healing on the Sabbath. And eventually he says, listen, it's okay to do good on the Sabbath. I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for man. Man wasn't made for the Sabbath. There's this picture that says, God gave you this because you need to rest, because you need to be renewed and restored. And what y'all have done, maybe with the best of intentions, is you made it a list of uh, over 100 rules for people to follow. They can't keep up with it. It's become a massive burden. It's easier to break the Sabbath than it is to keep it. It's no longer a day of rest. It's a day of anxiety. Have I done every, have I, have I broken the rule anywhere along the way? Are there any of these things where I've screwed up and dishonored God by breaking the fourth commandment? So Jesus says, don't, y'all are getting it backwards. The Sabbath is, is for us. We're not for it. And then Paul, Galatians 4.10 Colossians 2, he says, you don't, don't even worry about special days. You don't let anybody judge you based on new moons or Sabbaths. Basically, says every, all, all the days are fine. They're all set apart. They're all holy. You can meet God in all these different ways. Pretty much sounds like he's saying, you don't, don't worry about it at all. We know we're, we're free from the law, so we don't have to follow all of these rules. That's part of what it means to 
live under the new covenant. So the question becomes, well, then why does it matter? What are, the, what are the takeaways for us living where we live on this side of the resurrection? A couple of things. Rest, I'm going, to say the, I'm going to try to remember to say the word rest. Sabbath has a lot of baggage, so I'm going to say rest. So rest is rooted in God's activity. It's not rooted in the law. You can see this, the two places that uh, the command is given in the fourth commandment. We've got those up here in Exodus and in Deuteronomy. Look at the reasons. So in Exodus, this is the reason. The verses immediately preceding what you see there, 9 and 10, say, honor the Sabbath, keep it holy, nobody works, no animals, nobody works. Why? Because in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that's in them, but he rested on the seventh. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Then in Deuteronomy, you have a different reason. Again, the verses immediately preceding, don't work, nobody, slaves, maidservants, men servants, children, animals, nobody. Why? Remember that you were slaves in Egypt that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath. So you've got two different reasons there. Both of those things are rooted in God's activity. In Exodus, you rest because God did in Genesis 2. And in Deuteronomy, you rest because you were slaves and God delivered you from that. So God's creative activity and his saving activity, those are outside the law. Both of those things happen before the law is given. So we rest not because it's the fourth commandment. We rest because in God's activity prior to the law, he says, do this, do this. Because I rested after I made stuff and because I delivered you from slavery. Listen to Hebrews 4. I pulled out my sheet. Hold on. Nine. Therefore, there remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from his own work, just as God did from his. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest, so that no one will will, will fall by following their example of disobedience. Speaking of the Israelites in the desert. So there's this picture there for us, New Testament believers. There's a spiritual rest that we get to enter. So that rest, that kind of ties into that Deuteronomy. You guys were slaves, and y'all were treated terribly. If you remember the beginning of Exodus, here's your quota of bricks. And then, here's your quote, here, we're going to increase the quota of bricks, the Egyptians say. And then we're going to increase the quota of bricks and make you gather all of the materials that you need. We're not going to bring you what you need. So you've got to do even more work, and you still got to meet your quota. They were pressed down 400 years of slavery. And then God delivered them. Why? Just because they're his people. He delivered them because he chose to. You're my people, and I'm going to bring you out of Egypt because you're my children. That's a picture for us of salvation. And you can rest. Some of you strive. You don't do it on purpose necessarily or consciously, but there's a striving in you in terms of your relationship with God. Let me mark all the boxes, cross all the T's, dot all the I's. Let me make sure I've got everything just so. I've got my quiet time. I've got my tithing. I've got my small group. I've got worship. I've got, you know, all of the different, you know, all the different things that you do that are maybe, again, subconsciously, that's what keeps you good with God. That's what keeps you in relationship with him. That's what he's looking for. He's looking for your, tre- your checklist. That's not a Hebrews 4 understanding of salvation. That's working. That's trying to earn your way into his favor. What Hebrews says is, listen, there's, there's a rest here for you. You access it. It's grace by faith. Trusting in the finished work of Jesus, what he's already done for you. Trusting in that. That's what gives you access to this rest. Do you live that way? 
That's one of the reasons that we can rest. God delivered the Israelites. That's a picture of what he does for us. He delivers us while we are enslaved to sin, while we're enslaved to ourself, and when we're even enslaved to self-righteousness, trying to earn our way into heaven. He pulls us out of that, delivers us from that, says you can rest now. You don't have to work anymore. The, the, the second thing for us, which I think is where we're going to spend most of our time, is this idea from Genesis 2. We rest because God did. He said, here's the rhythm of life. Rest, work, and relationship. It's interesting. So the sixth day, God creates Adam and Eve and says, here's what I want you to do. Be fruitful, multiply, do all these things. What day comes after the sixth day? Seventh day. And what do they do on the seventh day? Nothing. Here's your assignment. Now don't do it. God rests from his work. He rests because he finished everything. We work from rest. We rest first, and then we work. It's a completely different way of understanding rest. We think of the weekend as the end of the week. I've been working Monday to Friday, and now I get the weekend where I can rest from all of the work that I've done. That's, that's okay, but biblically, what we see is rest first, and then work from that. Work from this place of, of renewal and restoration. Work from this place of refreshing because you've been in the presence of God. It's a different way of looking at things. We live in a culture that in a lot of ways works against rest. It's interesting because some of the things that we read about in the Old Testament have actually, they're, they're law for us. You can work 40 hours a week if you're hourly, and then after that they've got to pay you overtime. Most, I don't know anyone who works seven days a week. Your office is closed a couple of days. If you work at a job where the office is open six or, seventh day, six or seven days, you're not scheduled for all of those. Even if your salary, their parameters, again, your office isn't open all the time. These guys were slaves, the uh, Israelites were in Egypt. They had to work seven days a week. They never got a break. So a lot of the things that we think about when it comes to actually our jobs, we're kind of protected in a lot of ways. And yet, how, when was the last time you said you were busy? Yesterday? We say that all the time. When was the last time you said you were in a hurry? When was the last time you were stressed out because of all the things you have to do? So we don't, it's interesting, this idea of, in a lot of ways, the government has set up some things to say, here, here are the parameters for work, and yet so many of us are still so busy and so stressed out. Tell me how, who in here, if you get a text, I don't, when you receive the text, when you see it on your phone, how many of you respond within 30 seconds? That's your norm. The rest of y'all are lying. A minute. Who's a minute? How many of you are willing to say, I'll, I'll respond when I get to it? Y'all are rude. No, I'm joking. <laughs> Who gets email on their phone? Everybody? All right, so here's one. Who has responded to a text or an email while they're in the bathroom? Who's responded to me while they're in the bathroom? I don't, don't send them to me when you're in the bathroom. I don't want it. There's this idea for us. In a lot of ways, work, we can, there's some parameters around that. But technology makes us available all the time, and there's this pressure to respond quickly. You get your feelings hurt when somebody sends you straight to voicemail? Anybody? You know, it's supposed to ring four times, and it rings two when you go, and you know that they screened your call. They hit ignore. You go, oh, that, we have, the, there's this thing in us. Now that we know, out of office doesn't work anymore because everybody knows you have email on your phone and you brought your phone with you. Nobody leaves their phone at work. 
So that even the out-of-office thing doesn't provide any protection anymore. We know, everybody knows, that everybody is always available. And so I think for some of us, it puts this pressure on us. Even if we're not actually in the office or actually doing whatever it is our work is, if we're not actually doing it, we always know that we're, we're a, a, a beep away, a phone call away, a text message away from getting sucked right back in. And it's difficult for many of us to establish any sense of boundary. We live in a society where you maximize everything. Efficiency is a huge value for us. It's almost seen as immoral to leave something on the table. We say, what, you don't just do give 100%, you give 110%, whatever that means. There's this idea that everything should be maxed out. Sabbath works against both of those understandings. It works against this understanding that says you've always got to be working. You've always got to be productive. That, how about that? It's better than working. Sabbath says you don't always have to be productive. That's why they have 39 things you can't do. The idea is basically if you read the list, there's not a, like you're sitting there. There's not a whole lot left, and that's the point. Don't work. Have a day where you're not productive. Have some time where you're not making anything where you're not bringing order out of chaos, where you're not creating anything. And then the other thing, this idea of maximizing, Sabbath says, no, you don't get to work seven days, and you don't get to work your people seven days. You don't get to work your animals seven days. You're going to leave some stuff on the table. This isn't about maximum efficiency or maximum production. There's some limits here. So thinking of both of those things, the Sabbath is a recognition of limits or boundaries. It's a recognition of limits or boundaries. There's some things around the fourth commandment that are mostly in Leviticus, and there's actually not a lot of evidence to say that the Israelites ever actually did any of this stuff. God said, hey, this is what I want you to do, but as we talk about it, you'll, you'll think, no, I'm not sure I've done that either. Every 50 years was this thing called the year of Jubilee. So in this year of Jubilee, every, it was like a community reset button. So the Israelites were given land. So each family gets land from God when they enter the land of Canaan. That's Joshua, the second half of Joshua. It just, it's, all it is is saying this tribe gets this, this tribe gets this, this family gets this. So everybody gets land. I make bad decisions, and so I get in debt to John. And so eventually, I've got to sell John my land because I owe him so much money. On the year of Jubilee, he's got to give it back. It doesn't matter how much I owe him. He gives it back to me. Can you imagine that? You're a banker. You're somebody, you're holding the note. And you know, come this year, I've got to give it back. There's no evidence that the Israelites ever did it. And again, you can see why. Slaves go free on the year of Jubilee, this 50th year. Debts, all debts are canceled. It's this time, again, every 50 years, it's like community reset. It's a boundary around. You can't just keep acquiring. It's not about you maximizing. There's a time where we reset. There are these laws in Leviticus 19. They're called the gleaning laws. It says, here's how you deal with your crops and your fields. You can't, you can't harvest all the way to the corner. Leave the corners for the poor and the orphan and the widows. When you go through and get your grapes, you can't go through twice. You can only go through once. And you've got to leave the rest for the poor among you. Again, it's just this picture that says there's limits on what you can get. And the Sabbath kind of speaks to that. Those, all of those laws kind of fall under this concept of rest. It says there's limits. And we live in a society that says, no, there's not. Limits are bad. They're made to be expanded. We don't live within those confines. We see it's restrictive. Again, for some, it's even immoral to leave something on the table. 
to say that you didn't give maximum effort at some point or that you didn't, you didn't hit the, the highest goal. Somehow that's failure. What the Sabbath said is, no, there's boundaries and there are limits and they're created by somebody who's bigger than you. And he says, you only get to work for six days. You only get to have slaves for six years. On the seventh year, you've got to cut them all loose. You only get to acquire land and for, for, for 49 years. On the 50th year, you've got to give it all back. It's a completely different understanding of economics and kind of the way we relate to work. Every seven years, there's this thing called the Sabbath year. I'm trying to get, I can't get my mind around how people actually did this. And there's actually the evidence in the Old Testament is that they didn't. And so God kicked the Israelites out of the land because they couldn't do this. But listen to this. So you're a farmer. You're an agrarian society. You make your living because of what you put in the ground. That's how you put food on your table. And what God says is on the seven, every seven years, don't plant anything. Picture, you're a farmer, you don't have a freezer, and God says, don't plant anything on the seventh year. And what you say is, well, what in the world are we supposed to eat? In Leviticus 25, I think it's 8 to 10, God says, listen, I'm going to give you such a big harvest on the sixth year, it'll get you all the way through. You can eat it on the seventh year, you can eat it the eighth year, and you can eat it until this, this crop that you plant in your eighth year can, can come up, which is probably the ninth year. That's a massive amount of faith. I have four kids. I can't imagine if God said, hey, don't work next year. And don't worry, I'm going to give you such a big bonus at the end of the year that you can live on it for 2015 and then into 2016. If you came to me and said, God told me that, I would say you're an idiot. Straight, I would say, no, he didn't at all say that to you. There's no evidence that the Israelites actually did it. What God says when he, when he exiles the southern kingdom, Judah, by the Babylonians, I think this is in Jeremiah. He says, y'all didn't give the, y'all never let the land rest. That's what the seventh year was for. Let the land rest. Give it a Sabbath. It's a fallow year. Y'all never did that, so I'm going to do it. You haven't done it for 490 years, so y'all get 70 years in a different land. It's going to get back everything that you took from it. Took it seriously. I don't know what the modern parallel for us. It's not, don't go quit tomorrow. I don't know what the modern parallel is for us, but there's something there. Sabbath is not just about a recognition of boundaries and limits. It's also an expression of trust. Can you imagine? Honey, we're not planting anything this year. And we'll just, God's going to give us enough food. We're going to make it until we can plant in the eighth year. And then when we can reap that either at the end of the eighth year or the beginning of the ninth year. He's going to get us through. That's a very tangible, very real expression of trust. That's what rest does for us. Rest is trusting. It's saying Things are happening without my involvement. Mark 4, 26 to 29, Jesus gives this parable about the kingdom. And he said, it's like a seed that's planted in the ground. And it grows day or night. Whether the guy who plants it is awake or asleep. And he doesn't even know how. It just grows. It's this picture of God's always working. His activity. He, 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 he's, he's never asleep. And whether I'm asleep, whether I'm asleep or not, he's not bound by that. He absolutely works through us, but he's not limited to working through us there's things that he can do when you're not doing anything rest is an expression of trust so two questions for you where are you pressing your limits that's a negative question where are you pressing your boundaries are you pressing them with your time are you pressing them with relationships some of you have too many friends and you're wiped out because you can't keep up with everybody are you pressing your relational limits are you pressing your limits at work where, so that's one, that's a negative question, positive question. Where are you trusting? 
Where are you resting in him? I would encourage you, the places where you feel anxiety, you're not resting. You're most likely pressing your limits. You're not trusting in those places. That's why you have anxiety or worry in those areas. So think through your life. Go through your little catalog, however you, however you organize your life, in areas or days or whatever. What are the ones that cause you, that are giving you a little bit of grief, causing you a little heartburn right now? In that area, I would say, one, you're definitely not trusting him. Are you pressing your limits in that area? How are you pressing the boundaries? And then what does it look like for you to begin to trust him in that area? I want you to be encouraged by the places you're already doing that. Everybody's trusting him somewhere. You are. At a minimum, you're trusting him with your salvation, which is not a small thing. In your daily life, there are places where you're currently trusting him. Those are the things that you don't worry about. So you can give yourself good, good grades on all of that. Be encouraged. You know how to do this. You know how to rest. But what about the places where it's a struggle for you? It may just be one or two. Are you pressing your limits there? What would it look like for you to not work in that area? What would it look like for you to not be productive? For you to not put your hands on it? For you to not try to make something happen? Work has, there's a a very, say, basic sense of what it means to rest. There should be time every week where you're not doing anything. Where you're not being productive at all. Absolutely. That's what the Sabbath is. But it's not just not doing It's also a holy day. It's a day devoted to him. The only way we can truly be renewed and refreshed and restored is to be connected to the one who does those things. Jesus, Matthew 11, 28. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will what? Give you rest. He's the one that provides rest for us. And so rest is not just not working, however you want to define that. Rest is not just not being productive, which is a much better understanding for us, because some of us work a job Monday to Friday, and then we go work our house Saturday and Sunday, or whatever it else that we're we're always productive. Rest is, is about being not productive, not producing, not bringing order, things lying fallow for a while. But it's not just about that. It's also about connecting to him who's the one who can renew you and restore you. So we want both of those things going on. So we're going to close. I'm going to pray. Bo's going to come up and wrap us up. We've got a little time here, so no no, um, rushing. This is what I want. We'll have ministry teams in the corner, and I want you to be honest. Are you weary in any area of your life? And if the answer is yes, I want you to let us pray for you today. It doesn't have to be super long, just as a step of faith for you, and as you saying, this is me saying, I'm going to trust, I'm going to trust God with this, come forward and let us pray for you, and say, this is where I feel weary, and this is where I feel burdened, and uh, we'll just kind of see what the Lord does in your heart, so y'all can pray with me, God, I thank you that, God, I thank you that you've commanded rest, so many religions. It's doing things for whoever the gods may be. And with you, it's receiving what you've already done for us. So as a writer of Hebrews says, God, we want to enter into your rest today. God, if there are any who are striving in their relationship with you, God, I pray that song for them. Give them faith 
to trust what you say, that you're good. And that your love is great for them today. God, for those of us that we get that, and we're trusting you with our salvation, but there are areas where we're, where we're weary, where we're burdened, where we're anxious. Show us where we're pressing the boundaries and what it looks like to acknowledge our limitations in those areas, the things that we just can't do. We can't change anybody. Show us where our limitations and our boundaries are and what it looks like to respect those. God, the places where we're trying to be productive 24-7, show us what it looks like to rest, to trust you, to be at work even when we're not. God, I pray for all who came in here weary today that they would receive from you, Jesus, the Lord of the Sabbath, renewal and refreshment. In your name we pray. Amen. You guys can stand if you're on the ministry teams, if y'all could come forward. You guys can respond as you will, and then Bo will dismiss us here in a minute.